Welcome to the Insurance Brokers Podcast with your host, Sarah Myerskoff. This business podcast is for ambitious brokers determined to grow their business. Our guests are highly experienced industry experts and innovators. This is the place to leverage their success, learn how to break through barriers to growth, and discover a community of support and ideas whilst growing your business. On this episode of the Insurance Brokers Podcast, we're talking to Ranveer Sagu, who has over 25 years' experience in the insurance industry across composite insurers, MGAs, brokers, and claims. Ranveer, however, has spent the last four years working to solve some of the biggest challenges in the insurance industry. At the heart of Ranveer's business, Blockshaw, is a desire to build insurance products with the insured customer at the centre whilst providing a supply chain that operates much more efficiently. We're delighted also to have David Rothall joining us on the first part of this podcast whilst we explore blockchain in insurance. Good afternoon, Ranveer and David. I'm really delighted to be speaking to you both. I think the technology reinvigoration of the insurance market is very topical and I'm looking forward to hearing what you both have to say. Ranveer, can you tell me a bit about Blockshore? Thank you. And thank you for coming along. So Blockshore is a tech company that uses blockchain to change how insurance processing works. And the key thing about it is we're all about improving margins, but also allowing insurers to build technology solutions for areas that they weren't before. We've been going three years. We started with a simple proof of concept to show that blockchain worked for insurance. And from that, we market tested it, and then we spent two years refining what we've got with an insurer and a broker. And what do we do? We really sort of focus on the problems that people don't, the back-end problems. Everybody builds a nice new shiny front end for insurers with insurtechs, but they don't really look at all the processing problems like Bordero, like cash reconciliation. And those are the areas where we focus at, as well as looking at how we can make the front-end process and the UX for customers much better. Can you tell me, for total newbies, what is blockchain? I always answer this one with, I can, but do you really need to know what blockchain is? Good answer. <laughs> and the reason why is, I've used this before, and there are some big insurers who had their people in here. We don't know how the internet works. And I could ask anybody, do you know how the internet works? And people go, no. And I go, but you use it every single day. It's more about what it can do for you than how it works and what it is. So I think people should sort of come in and find somebody that can demo exactly how a blockchain platform insurance works. And then that is really what they should be doing. Not wanting to how the technology works. The technology is just, it's like a protocol. It's like people go, oh, it's HTTPS. And you go, I don't know what that is, right? It's the internet. It's blockchain. It does some great whizzy stuff. And let's find out how it can help you. Is it possible then? Because one of the things that does strike me, if we're looking at automating back-end processes, then that's of most value when there's loads of those processes. So it's a high-volume, potentially low-cost products. So if we take, as a good for instance, a absolutely standard household policy, what parts of the process does blockchain take out, make easier, automate? So the first thing I would say is you've got to focus on a certain segment. We're all about the intermediated market, brokers. We really, really want to help brokers. In a direct insurance business, you just need a website and a database at its simplest level. So blockchain isn't for that. It might be able to help in claims. Well, it can help in claims there. But in an intermediated market, if you think about anywhere where 
it's not face-to-face -face contact and helping the policyholder, or it's not an insurer to broker where you're actually discussing value-add activities, most of those will go. So an example of that is you no longer need board road processing because in real time, we work at a transaction level, so the data goes to an insurer in real time from a broker when a policyholder is added. Things like client money management. We can now split a customer's premium at source. So when the customer pays, that gets split, so the broker gets their brokerage direct, and the insurer will get their premium direct, and we split all the taxes out. There's a processes around governance and broker audits. Because of the way the platforms are set up and how the technology works, there is surety around how a process is going to work, and you have something in the middle called a smart contract, and that is just a programming language that says this is how it should work. And you can program that to say, this broker can only underwrite a certain type of product. So the insurer knows with 100% certainty that the broker is underwriting what's supposed to be underwritten. Now, if the broker underwrites something different and puts it down as a household product or a certain type of property product, and a claim happens and it's not what they said it wasn't, that's fully auditable. It's in there, the insurer will know what the broker said, the broker will know what they said, and every party has the same version of the truth. So it allows you to work in a much more trustworthy way. So if I'm understanding that correctly, that, that's like a all the data goes into one place and everybody can access their bits of it, as opposed to I've got the broker's data, you've got the insurer's data, our data never agrees, and we're not, all there, the time that's wasted with that Therein stuff. lies a difference then. The data doesn't go into one place. Everybody has their version of the truth. So everybody has their own database below it. What blockchain allows you to do is it simultaneously updates those ledgers or those databases in one go. And it'll be somebody at the front end put some data in and automatically everybody gets that data. It's not the same place because if it goes in the same database, somebody can go in and delete a number and everybody's got the wrong number. What this does is you can't go in and you can't change numbers. If you change a number on your database, everybody else's database gets updated. So you have your own numbers in your own database. And if somebody changes something, then everybody's gets changed at the same time. So it takes out all the operational friction between client, broker, insurer. At every stage of that, normally, there's somebody makes a mistake somewhere and stuff bounces to and from. That's just not possible. That's right. So those are the things that happen. So the frictional pieces, if you think about any part of friction where somebody takes something out of one system, i.e. a broker system, puts it on a spreadsheet or feeds it into another database so they can provide the information to another party, that's gone. And that would be the same for an insurer and a reinsurer and an MGA and a broker and MGA and insurer. So what happens is the information feeds through automatically to everybody. Practical question. What about branding? So the insurer obviously brands the policy documents, but often the broker rebrands to give their spiel on it, etc. How are all the policy documents? So that doesn't change. What you can have is you can have dual branding documentation. You can have single branded documentation. That is for the broker and the insurer who are, playing, who are using the platform to say, this is the documentation that we want. At the moment, we've got a broker called Commercial in General and Kavir using the platform. All the documentation goes out as Kavir, branded, because that's their documentation, but the front-end documentation goes out as commercial in general. So that is just a sort of back-end. That's nothing to do with blockchain. You can still do everything you could do before and much more now. Are there certain product lines that this fits better than others? At the moment for us, it doesn't matter if it's personal lines or commercial, but we're working on, let's say, high volume, low value and schemes as well. So anything that's not on a platform, so people sort of want to change things fairly quickly, like on spreadsheets, etc., and target a number, a set, a set sort of customers, 
for that kind of stuff, that's what we're targeting. But generally, we're sort of focused on, is it high volume, low value, so that what we want to do is we want to show the benefits the platform can deliver for people. And then we'll move into sort of more complex commercial policies as well. But there isn't anything that it couldn't do. The things that I wouldn't really look at it for is really bespoke stuff, so like satellites, large yachts and stuff. There's a cutoff point where you go, you still need that sort of person-to-person. There's going to be a lot of human interaction on the phone and stuff. We could build stuff for that, but is it really going to be worth spending all that money for something that's like a one-off? Do you have that? I'm sure this is an unfair question, but do you have any kind of return on investment metrics? So So we put this in, it's going to cost you a million, but you're going to be able to save 15 people, whatever that. So the first broker has actually been on a different podcast, and he said it saves him 90% in back office cost savings. Wow. Yeah. Because he's got no border, he's got no cash reconciliation, he doesn't need to worry about his broker audits, he doesn't need to worry about his compliance with his TOBA. All those things are done for him automatically. So all he needs to do is set up a web front end and then watch as it processes through and keep a track of what's happening in his system. And in some respects, what this allows you to do is it allows brokers to actually look at themselves and say, markets that we thought weren't accessible to us because the direct players have come in and just taken over from us, you can now look at saying, well, we could actually get back into that. Or what we can do is we can set our schemes up and really look after our clients because what we can do is the back office savings can just be focused in front office people. Yeah, We're not about saving people money. That's not what we focus on. We just say, look, we can allow, we give you the freedom then to choose what you do with that additional profitability. You mentioned something there. So the, the broker only has to keep his own system filled in. So most brokers now are probably on Actress. Mm. OGI and others are around. Actress particularly don't allow API. So do you still finish up with that? We've done this lovely straight through to the insurer, but in order to get your own accounting system, to somebody has to re-plug it into that? Well, that's something that we can't change, but we've yeah. got connectivity with those systems. So if a broker says... I'm on this system, and they allow us to connect up to it. We're happy to do that. Right. Excluding actress? No, if, if, they, <laughs> if, we, if that could happen, then we'd do that. We've worked on the basis that our system provides a, number of, a lot of functionality. I've also worked in the insurance industry for a long time, so I know that people will have legacy systems of different types, and they all need to be connected up to. And then it's up to the broker and the other systems provider to say, well, actually, we can see how this infrastructure works. And it isn't a threat because really what we want to provide is the plumbing that connects all the brokers and all the insurers up in the different systems. But if they've got a system, they say, well, this works for a certain product line and you want to connect up to our existing system, we'd happily say, yeah, fine, we'll connect up to it. Just pausing quickly, we say goodbye to David Rothall. Thank you very much for your time in the podcast. And Ranveer and I will continue chatting. I can imagine a conversation with smaller brokers is harder because you're automatically going, ah, this is going to cost millions and we can't possibly do this and and it requires such a massive mindset change. What are your thoughts on that? My thoughts are that actually if we can make it accessible to the smaller and mid-sized brokers, then the cost thing goes away. We're not expensive. This is not hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of build. We've created the platform so that there is a front-end product configurator in which you can build your schemes or your products fairly quickly. It's a generic way of doing it, but it's fairly quick for us, and the cost of that is fairly low. The second thing is the back-end platform, we just provide you with that. There's no cost associated. We just want the broker to give us a small deposit to show commitment, and then because they've paid that, then they get it out of the tin. They also then don't have to worry about systems upgrades and pay for those systems upgrades. We just upgrade the system and everybody gets the same upgraded system. So everybody's working off the latest version. So 
And sort of the short of it is really, we want to make it really, really easy for brokers to get onto this. And do you have like a hand-holding way through this? We do. So what we've got is we've got a... We've got an implementation plan. So we give them a suite of documents to say, this is the information we want from you. We've done it with a couple of brokers now to say, this is how we do it. These are the stages. There's the forms you've got to fill in. And we try and make it so that you don't need a heavy tech involvement in this. We've really sort of said, because lots of brokers out there go, oh, it's a tech change. I'm going to be really scared because I don't have a tech team. What we do is we want to move away from that. We want to say, by the way, we understand insurance. And that's one of our USPs. We're not a tech company on its own. We've got people like myself and there's a number of others in the business who've worked in insurance. So we understand the requirements from the insurance perspective. We build on the platform, but we also need, we also understand what brokers want and how they want to do this. We don't want to give them a sort of a spend and then an element of spend. And then it gives them some of the platform capabilities. And then there's a lot of fixes. We've said, here's the platform. It's already there. You're going to get that. So forget about the tech stuff. We take care of that. And what we want to do is focus on your product builds for you in the way that you want and getting you to market and engaging with your policyholders as quickly as possible. So there's almost an element of business advice there in terms of your extensive knowledge from the insurance industry, plus the technical side of it that you can handhold from a business strategic perspective as well. Yeah, there is. And we do help the brokers through. And what we want to do is create the confidence in what we've built so that people go, we can take this platform on, we know it works. So what we've got to do is, this is our bit, which is the insurance business bit, and the platform will take care of the rest. Because I think at the moment, quite often, when you go into a technology project, you've got to know technology, and you've got to know how the platforms work, and that's very scary for people. What we want to say is, the technology should just take care of it, the hygiene factors, it should take care of the processing for you, and what you can then, as a broker, can focus on is actually running your business. And the platform should just work. It shouldn't be a case of, I hope it works. I've got to train my people up. There's a lot of stuff which is just taken care of in the back end with the processes. What would your advice be given, A, that we're going into a hardening market and B, that we are technology focused over the next five to 10 years? I think the things then is as rates start hardening and then people start looking at where are they going to buy their insurance, it's a case of, right, who and where, so the customer's going to become choosier, right? And they're going to start saying, right, prices are going up. How do I help? How do I help my customers? And as a broker, it is, right, can I actually keep their premiums the same? Can I provide the insurer with the same risk premium? Or can I actually provide the insurer with more risk premium? Can I make the same living? And then it's all about the profitability of the various people in the, chat, in the, in the value chain. But also, can we look after the policyholder? I mean, people talk about hardening market. I think I've been hearing it for 15 years nearly now, and it hasn't quite happened yet. So um, when it happens, I think everybody will be glad. But it is just, it's a difficult one. Because I think if you're a systems provider, or is your systems provider just going to provide you exactly the same? Or are they going to be really, really flexible and allow you to then trade more? And that's one of the things that we've sort of really built in the sort of platforms of the future are, can I change my commission? Can I change my pricing much quicker? Or is it that if I want to change my prices, it's going to take my systems provider three months to do it? So am I sort of really inflexible? Or can I really, really be nimble now? And can I navigate through that in the best way possible? So one of the things that is absolutely happening, and I just need to look at my kids to see it, is I want it now. I want it on my terms. And I want it exactly in everything that's my way. <laughs> so... 
that's a biobehaviour that, particularly in the next generation, is going to be endemic. So obviously we need to fit everything around that. This feels very supportive of that. Well, I spent three years working for a big Chinese conglomerate, and in China everything works on a mobile. And there is a there's sort of a consensus mechanism in China as well. So if somebody wants to buy some new clothes or a new gadget, they ask around from their friends and they get the friends to sort of say, yep, try that, that's a good one, or no, what about this one, it's better. And that taught me a lot. It's, and they really are, we want it now. At lunchtime there, everybody just sits on their mobile phones, they do the gambling, their share dealing, their shopping and everything, but it's on a mobile device. And they're always on the mobile and stuff. So a lot of that has been brought into this to say, this is a generation that's going that way. And like you, I look at my kids and it is just, they're on a mobile phone, but if they lose interest within... 10 seconds, that's it, they're gone. They've switched from YouTube to Netflix and back again exactly. 15 times. And it is that, it's that buying decision. So what we're saying is there's a front-end UX that's got to be built. The user experience has got to be really, really good. You've got to get them a quote quickly. And if they like it, then they'll be engaged. If they don't like it, then let's just move on. How does that translate? I, mean, I tell put on my finance director's hat from years gone by. Why waste your internal resource on trying to give somebody a quote when they say, look, I'm not interested eventually when this is the price? or when they've switched off after 30 seconds. Why not get them the price really, really quickly and then get the rest of the information later? So you're engaged with the client. And then you say, the back end of it, well, that just does what it does. I don't have to worry about it. And that shouldn't cost a lot of money. We just made insurance processing really, really difficult. In some respects, I think it's, pr- it's more intensive processing now than it probably was 30, 40 years ago. So let's get it back to the simple processes where the Parties in the value chain do what they're best at and do what they really add value at, rather than a lot of the sort of back office board row cash processing, which nobody really enjoys doing, but just takes a lot of cost. Do you need administrative resource if if you use blockchain? Is there people losing jobs from it? I don't know. That's a difficult one to predict. I think the way I look at it is what you have is as a business, you can then start start allocating those resources on the really interesting stuff about going back to your last question the I want it now the I want to ensure things differently at the moment you can only buy a 12 month policy people are selling sort of gig economy policies and travel is a bit different but most home car policies commercial policies are 12 months but there's a lot of people out there who don't work that way so what you do is you say what we do is we start creating new products that focus on different areas of the economy, gig economy, people who work in consultancy. And therefore, you sort of move your resource from the back office stuff to the front office and try and engage with those people. And it may be that insurance businesses have a different shape, but I don't know if they'll have less people or less cash spent in them. That's quite interesting. What I think or what I know of the brokers that I'm talking to, working with, etc., is the hardest part of this is getting over that mindset. It is so alien that the thing that you hear about but not really understand, oh, that's, yeah, not for me, not for now. What's your strategy to get over that? Well, how we do it is, I suppose, how lots of people have done it in the past. It was a bit like a wheel turned up and people like, that will never work. So somebody showed, (laughs) somebody put it on a car or on a bicycle and showed people how it worked. And then the car was invented and then the internet came along and people were like, that never take off. So what we've done is we've built something. And we always say to brokers, just come in, see what we've built, see how it works. 
And that really brings it to life. And that's the only way I can recommend it. Trying to understand the technology is really, really difficult. So it's rather than trying to understand the technology, say, what are the benefits? How can this work? How can it help my business? And we can help them through that. And we're about to do some work in the next three to six months, which is about marketing what we've got and showing, getting out there with brokers and stuff and saying, look, this is what it does for you. Don't be scared of it. And everybody we engage with, we have probably three reactions and we have sort of the dyed in the wool, which I'm glad to say are in the very small minority who go, oh, no, I don't need that. And quite often, I sort of find that they don't understand what we've done or they've already made their mind up. We had somebody who's very senior in one of the biggest broking businesses in the world. And he sits at the top of the tree. And he said, I've got my boardroom processing down to 20 people. I don't need this. And I said, well, there is no boardroom processing. And the person who sat next to me was a consultant was trying to explain this and was a good friend of this person. And the person went, I don't need it because I've already, narrowed, I've already cut as much cost. And he went, well, you don't need it, that. And then you get sort of next category of people who see it and they're like intrigued by it, but they go, I've got to go away and think about this and see how it works in my business. There's a third category who go, I can see how it works. And then you can sort of see throwing product ideas out there. And then there's a fourth category that always intrigues me. They're the ones who quietly look at it and they go, right, fine. Then they slowly start asking questions. And by the end of it, they're like, okay, I would like to try it in this product area, this product area, in this, and this is when I'd like to do it because I really, really get how this works. Which percentage of people is the latter one? The latter one I'd probably say is about 15, 20%. And after a big marketing thing where the world knows much more, it'll be 50 plus. Hopefully, hopefully. (laughs) That's the dream, dream. that's the dream. (laughs) Just for the benefit of listeners, I'm sitting in this wonderful room. In fact, if you don't mind, I'll take a picture and pop it out there with the podcast. And I can see three screens and uh, Ramvi has just given me a, a demo test on it and I won't pretend I'm technical enough to explain how or why, but it's very impressive and I would highly recommend you come and have a look at it, if not for the mind-boggling brilliance that it, that it gives. It's fabulous. Thank you. So um, what's next for you? You've mentioned um, you've been going three years. Previous to this, we had a conversation about some of the big um, global people that you're working with and it's slower to uptake in the UK, but it's coming. What's next for Blockchain? So- this year is all about refining what we've got with actual live customers. We've set ourselves a target of eight customers by the end of the year. We've got probably four of those lined up and another four. And they're all in different product areas because there's no better way than to build a system than to actually build it with live customers. Because you understand what their requirements are, how they work, and we have to refine our business to make sure we can then scale up in 2021. We've got a key project, which is in Indonesia, which is about microinsurance, and it's the one that I will start with. It's helping people out the poverty trap. And that's a really big one. So it's um, $2 policies or policies between $2 and $10. And to try and process them in a conventional way would cost you far more than the premium. And we think we can do it for about 50 cents. It's, a very, it's quite a long policy chain or a supply chain, but we think we can make that work. And we've done a lot of work on it. We've got a similar project which I'm traveling out next week to Japan for. It's tenants insurance because that's mandatory for anybody who rents an apartment in Japan. And there's a big insurer out there who wants to do that. And I think this uh, single annual premium is about $90. So we can improvements there. And then we've got about four or five projects in the UK that we want to sort of kick off. And we've got a couple of, we've got about four products already lined up. And then we've got another couple of big brokers and a couple of big insurers that we're hoping to work with. But it is really just showing people that this really, really can work. 
slightly Can bit I, I don't know if this is sensitive or not. Can I ask you what product lines you're working across at the moment? So the two that I've already told you, we've got the um, Millennial Renters product, which is out there. We've got an Airbnb product that we want to do. And then we've got property owners. Yeah, so those are the key ones. We're also then sort of starting to focus heavily on the scheme side. So there's a, a large insurer that wants to sort of grow quite heavily in the schemes business, and they see our platform as helping them. And then it's really looking to help smaller brokers, a small number of smaller brokers who have got spreadsheet-based schemes to say, why don't you come and talk to us? And what we'll do is we'll convert them onto a platform for you so that you can see the benefits. Do you need buy-in from the insurers who you have your capacity with? Well, we don't have capacity because we're not regulated, but the brokers have. The way we've built the platform is... And that's, this, that's what I mean, yeah. sorry, the brokers. So if I'm a broker and I decide, actually, I've got this scheme and I want to move it onto blockchain, but the insurer behind the scheme isn't on blockchain, do you need buy-in from both? It would be useful to have buy-in from them. But again, going back on my experience in the insurance world, I know how difficult it is to get everybody together, get them to move. So what we've done is we've built it so that a broker can say, I want to be part of this. If they tell their insurer they're going to be part of it and they want to give the insurer a web front access to our screens, great. If the insurer fully buys into it, wants full access to it, then we can do that as well. But we've made it so that it's as easy for brokers or an insurer to install as possible. I just know that not everybody's on board at the same time. So a broker can say, I want it, I can do all my administration on it. But what I don't need to do is I don't need to tell my insurer everything that's happening because they'll be notified and then we can create sort of work not a workaround the system actually has the um, workarounds built into it so that an insurer can download a csv board row if they so wish to do that in antiquated way of working or they can link it direct to their systems we've got all that already there and we do that with one insurer so it is a broken come along say i want to try it and we can do that for them and then we can just build the other sort of rest of it for the insurer that's absolutely phenomenal and presumably it's for things like mtas and it's just quick, easy, yeah, no redoing of all the schedules. and the. So it does everything from, so your quotes are all on there in real time, your pol conversion into a policy is there, we have all the metrics in real time, your MTAs are built in, cancellations, we're just finishing off referrals and endorsements so they can be done in real time as well. So full cycle. Um, we've also got your first notification of loss happens in real time, so a customer, policyholder wants to report a claim, they can take pictures on their mobile without actually having to input any policy details. If they've got a policy with you, they will go into a web link that we send them via email. They click on it. They go in. They say, right, make a claim. Because it's mobile orientated, it guides them through that so they know exactly what they've got to do. Take some pictures, submit the claim with all the details. That is a huge USP. The customer functionality that that allows is, is phenomenal. So if I said to you, right, I'm going to, what's your elevator pitch? Before we finish, you've got the Insurance Broker Podcast. So Sell me your... <laughs> my elevator pitch would be, if you're a small broker and you look at the InsurTechs and you think, oh, I wish I could do that, you can now do it. And you can do far more. You can provide your policyholder with functionality that they've never seen, which is mobile, digital enabled. And you can also automate or remove most of your back office processes with something like a 90% cost saving. Fabulous. I'm not an insurance broker, but I'll buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate your time, Rambia. That was really, really interesting. And um, I wish you all the best of luck in 2020 and 2021. And hopefully there'll be some opportunities for us to um, talk together more. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you.